Hello, this is Charles Wiz. Tony Silva. And we are Two Teachers Talking. Tony and I talking about teaching, teaching in Japan, teaching English in Japan, English education, education in general. And this is、um, episode 126, where, and we're going to be tackling something we usually don't do. And in fact,、uh, it's an unscripted episode. And by unscripted, I mean that we've done very little talking with each other about it and haven't planned this out. And this is about recent events in the United States、um, police brutality, racism, the issues of systemic racism in the United States, Black Lives Matter, what's happening throughout the country with protests and the reactions of the government and people and the wide range of reactions for people. And the question we're Trying to deal with is what do we do as language teachers? What do we do as teachers who are teaching a foreign language in Japan or any country? And whether or not we should be talking to our students, does it have a place in the classroom? Do we say something and then leave it alone? Do we explore it with our students? Is it an issue of how much、uh, language ability students have,、um, awareness, et cetera? And it's a, it's a question we're grappling with. And we would just like to put, like, what would I call it, Tony?、Um, a, a warning, <laughs>、um, a request, a. Uh, uh, actually, actually there's, a, a, there's a term for that these days. What is it?、Um, I can't think of it at the moment, but it's a,、uh, it's, it's a warning before you do something to be. Warn people who tr- a trigger warning. A trigger warning. Oh, okay. I wasn't thinking of a trigger warning, but okay, I'll、right. allow for that. <laughs> Which is that for people who are listening, if we say something that you feel is inappropriate, wrong, insensitive,、uh, you know, even racist, you know,、um, an email pointing it out, a message pointing it out so that we can understand why you think that way. So. It helps us grow or change and deal with that issue is really a whole lot better than just kind of sending off an email, an angry email, and calling us, you know, different kinds of things. Because we're bas- here we are, we're two white guys in Japan talking about issues that we really don't know very much about experientially. And we,、um, I think, Tony, you're kind of in the same camp as I am that I believe in free speech. And I believe that I have to listen to the ideas and things that I don't want to hear. And we're going to try to explore these issues in a way that will be helpful to teachers. And we can only do that in a kind of open minded way. And, you know, again, Tony, I don't know where we're going with this.、Uh, it's、uh, a lot of issues here, a lot of feelings, a lot of emotions,、um, questions about what do we do as teachers. So. Let's get started. Does that preface work for you? Yeah, yeah. You want to add anything to it before we move、um, on? Mm, yeah. <laughs> yeah. As, you, as you said, it's, it's, it's a really hard one to, to talk about. And I, I guess what we're talking about is what the social issues in a foreign language classroom, I guess, is maybe it's where we can get. But、um, the, the difficulties are, you know, there's so many. And as you talked about、uh, us, you know, being two. Old white guys in Japan. Well, I didn't say、um, old. Well, I just I said, <laughs> thank you for that because I realize it does make sense. Because, no, because, yeah, for younger people, yeah, us age olds, makes a difference. That's,、yeah. a, that's, that's a thing, too. And, we, and, and you know, relevant to that. So we grew up in a different world. Not an excuse, <laughs> not an excuse, but um, the, um, the ground is shifting and it, it's, it's changing so quickly. And、uh, things that might have seemed okay very, very recently. Let alone, let alone long time ago when we were growing up, um, um, now pretty much recognizes, you know, you know, that's not okay. And whether, you know, whether it's, uh, uh, you know, sexual harassment type things or whether it's the, the, the racial issues that, that are coming up, um, the, 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 the ground shifts and, um, you know, we're used to something else. And it's even when we try our hardest, <laughs> um, Be woke, what, however, whatever label you want to put on that.、Um, we're still 
I, I know. We just had, I, I just had, again, this, this is what makes it difficult. Um, the, the uncertainty, we just don't know what to do, right? And um, whenever I start thinking about this topic, um, I, I just get angry at myself because I keep boxing myself in or, or and running around in circles with, well, it depends. Well, it depends. Well, it depends. So, you know, we're talking about a foreign language classroom. Okay, so you've got like, you know, lower level classes, you know, basic elementary type classes where you're, you know, a couple of steps above subject, verb, object. Um, but um, we also teach very high level classes and kids who are very sophisticated and world aware and they are topics discussion classes and i don't know how to conduct those without mentioning social topics in the class and if i have to do it then how do i do it and um you know it's really different if you're teaching high school students and if you're teaching student like senior students at a culture center somewhere uh adults right and um compounded with um you know my strong and probably most of the people listening um the concept of the inseparability of language and culture right and we're teaching english in japan and english as a language is rooted in the judeo-christian culture and its values and how as native english speak speakers that is what is that whiffed and woofed or woof and woofed of it it's it's part of who we are and it's part of what the language is and not to be you know crusaders of cultural imperialism <laughs> teaching the foreign language um with the you know the cultural baggage that necessarily comes with it in ordinary times is a challenge and when uh what we're seeing now which is you know you know kind of refreshingly rather for me anyway odd, odd word to say but reminiscent of the 60s within invigorated by the possibility of real change um it doesn't make the job any easier um and how we do that and how we not only with our teaching but really having to reframe who we are as teachers or how we teach or what our role is again i'm i'm changing myself in circles and like you said the, the difficulty of talking about this uh it's a it's a tough one it's hard yeah i i struggle with it in many of the same ways that you've described i agree with you completely that it's case by case for example there are students who are just not going to have the language skills to be able to talk about it. And I might, in that situation, just mention that, hey, there's a lot going on in America, much more simple language than that. And, you know, maybe please watch and decide for yourselves. I think yeah. that it has to be marked somehow. Yeah. And so, you know. You can't as, just ignore it, right? Do it's we, such do, a big yeah. event. As teachers. Okay, assume that we have some kind of responsibility. Okay, what are the boundaries? What are the limits of those responsibilities? Yeah. Who well, do you ask about that? <laughs> I well, guess I've don't kind of I've kind of come to a limbo place for lack of a better expression mm. or trying to find some way to integrate the issues that are occurring in the world with what's going on in the classroom and to try to find a way that will benefit the students without my politicizing it with my opinions. I mean, that's been really mm -hmm. a key driver is mm -hmm. I very much believe in keeping my politics out of the classroom. And when I'm not capable of doing it because of you know, personal weakness or intellectual weakness, that I state, hey, this is my belief, this is where I, have, I stand on a political spectrum, and you need to know that that is how the opinion is filtered or biased, whichever word you want to choose on this. What I have done in the advanced classes, and as you point, you know, we know from listening to your undergraduate students that those were 
pretty amazing young people. I teach some graduate classes, and I teach some classes with some really advanced students. In those classes, what I've done is to mention what's going on in America, to talk a little bit about the history of America, um, especially talking about the civil rights movement, because that seems to be something that is not that far away and still is known by most students. And to say, here you are living through this moment and... This is a time where we're getting lots of different opinions. We're getting lots of images and videos, and you can we can go on the internet and get in, you know information in quite a you know what an old west style way is I think the you know the only way I know how to talk about it. Hmm. And what I say to the students is, you are really being challenged to figure out what is accurate, what is. Um, re- what you have to call, I guess, verifiable news, data, and information. And I've used it to tell my students, you've got to look at the data. You've got to look at the evidence. You know, don't just take secondary sources or, you know, reported. Ask yourself exactly, what kind of numbers are we really talking about here? And this is not to take away about, you know, what happens with people's lives, but just to say, hey, you're in school, you're in a university, and one of the functions of the university is to help you learn how to think and think clearly. And one of the ways we learn to think clearly is by using evidence and data and looking at that and making sure that we do not fall prey to confirmation bias. And you know, just because you have a, a viewpoint, you we know that human beings will then notice and recognize data or evidence that supports that view. And this works from, on the whole, political perspective, from right to left. Everybody's just looking at data that is there. So that's one thing I've done. The second area, and this is possibly somewhat controversial for some people, is that I explain to people that I think we have to learn to listen to people and listen to people's opinions. I I don't think, Tony, we, we don't have this notion of safe space in Japan that exists in America. And I think that the students are not, well, the Japanese students are not going to shut us down in the same way. What do you think, though? I would say that we have a little bit more freedom to say things, to talk in the classroom, than what it appears we're getting through the media about what's happening to um, educators in the United States, especially at the university level. I guess so, but I think in general in Japanese society, it's more of a safe space all the time. Exactly. People avoid <laughs> any kind of controversy, any kind, anything that's con- controversial, any possibility of con- they're conflict averse, right? Um, you just don't talk about those things, and for us. As as foreign teachers in Japan, um, you know, advantages, disadvantages, we are kind of outside that system. And like for a lot of those things, for, for many of us, if, and those of us have not, you know, totally, completely integrated into the bureaucratic structure of a, of a university, um, you know, as adjunct professors, as, as, as part-time teachers, we're kind of outside this. The rules don't apply. Well, kind of, kind of apply to me in a little bit. Yeah, right. Way, exactly. But... exactly. But like for for like for me, where I'm I'm only part time at, at all my universities. It's like, well, whatever I'm doing, it it's out there. It it doesn't matter. It's only English. Um, there are there's no awareness of what I'm doing in the classroom. Uh, so for me, at least the way I look at it, I'm I, I just the rules don't apply. I can do whatever I want. That doesn't mean I'm I'm running you know, I'm going wild in the classroom. No, because I'm self policing. <laughs> I mean, I watch and think and am careful and try to do the right thing. But you know, you're talking about like you know people who criticize. Hell yeah, uh, because you're going to have people who say that no, this is a foreign. You're supposed to be teaching English. This is a foreign language classroom. These discussion of the, these these social things. There's no place here. It's like just come on, vocabulary, grammar. It's got nothing to do with anything that's happening 
uh, riots here, protests here. Uh, give me a list. But um, and at the other hand, or on the other hand, you're going to have people who say, "Well, no, what <laughs> you know, just talking, talk, just just mentioning it is not enough. <laughs> you got to." Again, talked about shifting ground, right? It's not enough just to to talk about it. You should be, some critics would say, should be actively pushing an agenda. Uh, you're going to get criticism from both ends, uh, and where you position yourself on the on, on the on the scale on, on the gamut uh, probably doesn't make a difference. You're going you're going to get crunched whatever you do, which makes it, you know, difficult, but, um, it also makes it a little bit, you know, maybe a little bit freeing. It's like, yeah, people are going to, uh, crunch me no matter what. Um, so, um, I'll move on, uh, and, and do what I'm going to do. So, um, it's a little abstract, but I, I'll give you I mean, a couple of concrete examples. Um, I teach a number of complete courses and then components of courses about uh, presentations and public speaking. And so, of course, I use uh, video clips, um, some, not very few full speeches. There's a couple. I'll, I'll mention two of them, but almost none. I, I use a little bit of Michelle Obama's 2012 uh, speech at the, at the convention. But the ones that I, two that I do show in their entirety, and I use them because... Uh, I want to impress the students with the power of effective speech, of being able to speak persuasively, being able to do things, being able to change the world. And I use uh, both the um, Emma Gonzalez March for Our Lives speech in Washington, D.C., which is quite moving, and um, uh, the uh, Greta Thunberg addressed to the United Nations uh, Council Group, whatever it was. It was a, it was a big group. It's not, it wasn't the UN, the UN, but it was a UN group on uh, on climate change and examples of people who are um, uh, effective speakers uh, and uh, says, yeah, says that this, is, this is why I think, you know, this class is important uh, because, yeah, okay, you might not be able to get up there and talk to the world the way that these young ladies are doing and change the world. But whatever your sphere of influence is, whether it's a, you know, a PTA uh, meeting or whether it's your homeowners association in the neighborhood or your condo owners association, um, if within your own company makes it some kind of change. It's a, it's a, it's impressive power. So that's what I try to teach them. But I don't use Hitler. <laughs> also very i'm not teaching german either but you're talking about persuasive. that's a good point <laughs> I, I uh but you know persuasive you know you okay so you you choose your examples and i chose those is that am i bad <laughs> for choosing the speakers from one end of the political spectrum and not choosing someone from the other end is that, did i make a mistake i don't know Waiting for an answer to that. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. That's we see, my this point, is right? this is where I I I I think I really upset people a lot, and uh, you know I I think that the example you know you've gone really over to the other side, right? I mean, you can you know it seems that right Hitler was. <laughs> Very would... effective speaker. And you know, okay, you know, yeah, let me come out with this, okay? My parents are Holocaust survivors, okay? Mm-hmm. And I've got the right to talk about this. <laughs> so, there. Go. <laughs> yeah, there's no question when people look at it and say, this this man affected people with his speaking, right? These were people who understood radio media. And if we were going to be fair and objective about saying, what are examples of people who used media and speech to affect people's minds, of course you're going to have to say, hey, here's this guy, evil guy, right? Ranks, you know, pretty much like, okay, hey, we have competition for who's the most evil person in the world. And yeah, I think that with the disclaimer, hey, there's some offensive stuff here and it's really offensive to me. 
Yeah. And it had a direct impact on my whole family history and whether or not my um, daughter has relatives and cousins. Yeah, I think that we have to say, hey, let's look at how these people used speech in a negative way so that we can be aware of it and to say, what did this person do? I think that sense, yeah, um, I don't like it and I don't want to hear that stuff. But if somebody did that in a classroom, I don't think I'm going to go attack them for it, right? I mean, if somebody says, hey, I want you to listen to this guy because his ideas are great, that's a really significant difference in saying, hey, you know, watch what this person did. This moved a lot of people to do things in a real, real, you know, incredibly bad way. How did it work? How did it happen? So there's two reasons for that. Number one is as a speaker, you're watching what's happening. But as number two, as a listener, to be aware of how we can be manipulated. Hmm. Because everybody's always like, it wouldn't happen to me. I wouldn't do that. Right? So there, I think you got me going on that good. topic. Good, good. Because I, th- I think that's a really valid point. And it goes back to your the point that you made before about, uh, I don't know if you used the term critical thinking, but yeah, but being able to think and being able to look at the data and do your own analysis and make your own conclusions and not just follow what, is being spooned out to you from whatever news source that you've got. Uh, the importance of looking at the facts, looking at the data, and getting the your own, getting the real numbers. I think that that is all part of the same thing. Well, to me, that's you know, I don't like cancel culture. I don't like a lot of what I see. I like a lot of what I see. Also, I like you know. Um, seeing people involved. I like seeing people engaged in bringing about change and critiquing the way the world works and the way the system works and trying to say, how do we achieve a more just world? I don't think there's anything wrong talking about that in the classroom. Um, Because as you've pointed out so many times, Tony, teaching a language comes with its own agenda. And that's part of the way the teaching gets implemented is the recognition that a foreign language does what what what's uh kind of is like a, a trojan horse sure in a way uh, sure. for values and ideas and attitudes i know that you know you know this one where you go back home to america and like suddenly people say hey hey charles what are you exactly saying what do you want and they read it and they go and you've been in japan a while haven't you you know um that there's that responses that I've changed in certain ways. And I mean, that's living in a foreign culture. And there's a lot of ways I've obviously not gotten a lot of stuff, but there is an agenda built in. And I think being conscientious of that agenda and trying to say, hey, what are what is our responsibility as educators here? Uh, you know, um, and there's also on top of it, right, the guest worker aspect. This is, I'm not a citizen. I don't have voting privileges. I am here specifically to because the government and the society recognizes that I fulfill a certain function that they value or feel is needed. But when students come into my classroom, there's a lot of there's a lot of agendas there. There's the critical thinking agenda, there's the questioning agenda, there's the uh, don't be shy agenda, there's the speak up and tell me what you think agenda. Um, I got a, I got a good one for you. Oh, go so for it. Really, with with fits in right now here with the language, right, and the Trojan horse. Mm-hmm. Um, you talk about the Japanese language, and you talk about the English language, and of course, each one uh, is a mirror of of its culture and whatever analogy you want to use. But they're, they're, you can't say again inseparable. And in Japan, you've got a hierarchical society, and you've got a hierarchical language. And in uh, English is pretty much egalitarian. Now, the <laughs> question is: the What do you do about the very Western value of equality? Because that's a foreign concept. Equality. We 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 don't. Again, this is something that we have to like rethink for ourselves because it's. I, you know, it's just hard to understand. It's like, what the hell are you talking about, Tony? He's like, no, the equality is not a Japanese value. 
here mm-hmm. hierarchy. It's quote unquote natural to have there is a hierarchy and there's a hierarchy of everything in gender race where you're born all up and down whatever it is i and then well, i think we mentioned that on, on the show before <clears throat> but um last year i had a student question students tony where does the western idea of equality come from the western idea of equality that's from a student, very, very bright student, obviously. Where does that idea of equality come from? It's a foreign concept here. And it's phrased as a foreign concept. Yeah. and Clearly, and right? You, and, and when you speak English, <laughs> you've got to like re, rewire your brain, just the way for us when we speak Japanese, we've got to rewire our brain. Um, you know, just and I use this example all the time with like the verb give, right? I give my father a present. I give my brother, brother, we don't have older brother, younger brother. I give my brother a pencil and I give my dog dinner. It's In English, it's give, give, give. In Japanese, they're all different words. There's like six different levels of the word give that you have to use based on who you are and who you're talking to. Um, equality. Equality. <laughs> um, uh, uh, <laughs> language you know the whole question of you know what do you you know what do you teach i teach students i don't teach english yeah well that don't get you in trouble sometimes <laughs> not, that, not that we shy away from that but um it doesn't make it easy as you talked about what is you know what are the limits of our responsibility and what limits of our, our freedom right how much is okay and how much do we want to um and how much are you know a big part of it is like um and very very difficult um an awareness of our own biases and our own blind spots and our own assumptions and again because there are assumptions we don't think about them. like like equality it's like well, what what could be what could possibly be controversial about that? I guess you haven't taught in India, um, but no, I haven't. It's hard. <laughs> no, neither yeah. have I. But this the it's it would be mind boggling. I would think, and it's you know they speak English. Um, blah. I don't know. As I said, it's hard. I I get angry at myself. I get frustrated. I don't know how to even think about this. Yeah, well, that's something I've said to my students, my advanced students. I don't know. I'm confused right now about my role as a teacher, and I put that out in front of them and say, look, this is, I'm not sure what's the right thing to do right here exactly. There are a lot of questions that I talk about. It's a language class or it's a, you know, academic presentation class. Um, it's different for example, in my seminar class, for example, where um, I have a junior seminar class right now and the students are doing a lot of work in culture studies. And that in itself um, lends itself more towards uh, these kinds of discussions. But I want to go back, Tony, to what you said about the, you know, being aware of biases, right? And uh, you said biases and what was something else you said? Blind blind spots. Blind spots. Yeah, I think that's where I've really been um, trying to focus my energies is to say, hey, what? Okay, I can. I said I can only guess at what my blind spots are. I can only, you know, I have a better sense right. of my biases. But this is what is in front of us right now. What are your blind spots? What are your biases? And not just individually, but culturally. And to point out that as an American. Uh, in Japan, that there are a lot of blind spots that I have that I things that I just can't see. I'm amazed at you know how my wife or my daughter will point out. Well, didn't you notice that? Didn't you see that? It was so obvious. I mean, my blind spots are just like you know. I wish there was like you know I could go to some eye doctor and get a prescription to fix all my mental blind spots. Probably that, requires surgery. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I mean, I know, I know, I would. <laughs> yeah, right. But they're going to just go in there and find nothing, you know. And for me, the but the thing is, again, is 
talking to my students about, okay, how do you assess this situation? And looking again at how do we figure out what our blind spots are? How do we get past our biases? And I've been, I think, reasonably okay with that and doing that in a way. I think where I've definitely put in an agenda, though, and it's a personal agenda, it's a political agenda, there's no question about it, is the idea of freedom of speech. And that I have to, you know, say that people probably could say I've injected my personal opinion into the classroom. But there is the belief I have that, and it's part of being a teacher in a classroom and trying to have an open classroom, is that everybody needs to listen to everybody else. And that's an important value. Now, to go back to what you're saying about that question of where does the Western value of equality come from, again, you can't come into a situation in Japan, which, as you pointed out so clearly, is hierarchical in nature, right? Right. And I'm trying to teach my students you know, to say, thank you, you're welcome, excuse me. Or, for example, to say, hey, when you go to a, um, a supermarket, you say thank you to the cashier. You have a little conversation with them that they are treated more or less equally and you would never have a conversation with the cashier in Japan, would you? I mean, I do, and they get really, everybody's freaking out about it. But I noticed this the last time I went back to the States with my daughter. So different. That, you know, I almost was at a point where I turned to the person in front of me and said, would you please stop having a conversation with the cashier so I can get through this line? And... You know, there I am thinking this, and then the, the cashier was really friendly, and like, hey, how you're doing? And I'm like, oh, pretty okay, really tired from the drive. And then the cashier said, where are you driving from? And there I was in a conversation with the cashier. It's so different. <laughs> it's so different. Oh, yeah, same, I had the, exact, the last trip, I had the exact same experience. Yeah? Uh, yeah, it was a, there was a woman, and she was um, she, she reminded me so much of my mom, though she's probably my age. <laughs> probably, probably my. Okay, age. that's really weird. And, uh, yeah, yeah, it is real weird. <laughs> and uh, it's like, and she, and she looks at me. She says, "Wow, where are we going?" And I go, "Huh? <laughs> what?" <laughs> he says, "That's really a nice shirt you're wearing." And it's like, again, you talked about you changed. You've been in Japan, so yeah, I, you know, Just I was taking it back. I was going to the store, so I was. I wore a shirt with a collar, right? Which in Chicago is it's like a tuxedo. <laughs> it's a really okay. you know, casual, down earth town, right? And it's like, so yeah, I've got a you know, a perma press shirt with a you know with a collar. She says, "Wow, where are we?" Going? I said, "Yeah." So she says, "Wow, I thought you're." I said, "Where are you going?" I said, "This is it. I came here. I'm going to be here at the supermarket." <laughs> I dressed up she, for the supermarket. She says, "Why? Wow, that's a really you look sharp." Oh, well, thank you, <laughs> thank you very much. Yeah, never in Japan. But, <laughs> you know, but we we teach those things to our students. Mm. Now, this of course raises the question of right. Well, I think you know. When in Rome, do as the Romans, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I, I'm probably that's an inappropriate statement right now because <laughs> you, never, you don't know anymore, right? Yeah. When exactly. outside of Rome, when outside of Rome, do as the Romans did, right? Conquer and pillage and whatever. But um, we have to recognize that we are bringing agendas in, and I don't think that pointing out those agendas and showing our students that we're aware of those agendas is a negative thing. I think that kind of self-awareness to say, hey, I want you to know that look at this that I bring into the classroom that is different from what you expect. I mean, they're, of course, like as soon as we walk in the door, they're pretty shocked Freaked a lot out. of my yeah. students. Yeah. So what I'm also in dealing with, again, is there probably would be a whole lot more feedback to things that I'd be saying if I were in the States right now, but it's the old problem in Japan that it's a very low feedback country. Yeah. Right. I was actually, actually, I, I explained to people that I think it's a zero feedback country. Mm. Yeah. I think I told you the story once where um, I had been late to an important meeting. And um, so this is when I was new to my school. So I went to the senior person in my department, you know, and I went, Sensei, I just need you to know I screwed up. 
pretty badly. He goes, what happened? I said, well, you know, there's this important meeting I went to. And I said, I came half an hour late. And he says to me, he goes, well, was anybody angry? And I said, how would I know? It's Japan. <laughs> <laughs> and he just burst out laughing because he realized what a silly question it kind of was also. But that lack of feedback. Well, there's no feedback that doesn't mean there aren't consequences. (laughs) Well, there's just because you're not getting feedback doesn't mean there aren't reactions and it's not having an effect. Or that you're you're seeing, right? You talk about blind spots, right? Because there there could be things going on and we would never see it because we don't know what to look for. So maybe there was a reaction, but we just missed it. Mm, Yeah. It was like a little eye twitch or something. <laughs> just that little, oh, did you see it? It was so obvious. What are you talking about? Oh, the person, they're just, they're, they're, they're eye twitched a little bit. What, what are you talking about? I don't know. I mean, I'm so blind to things in Japan still that yeah. I'm, I'm amazed. But what happens, okay, is that because I live in a foreign country and I miss so much after being here for so long, and I struggle with the language and I struggle with a lot of the concepts and, you know, I'm the proverbial bull in the china closet or um, china store what what is it shop 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 okay so i tend to give people a little more slack you know when my students make mistakes with what they say or if they say something and that has an effect but you're doing things here's the problem here's the problem for me i'm saying things i'm trying to find ways of dealing with things and not getting a lot of feedback from students. Or I might get feedback from students who have more confidence or feel more capable in the language or the kind of student who would say, hey, I want to study in America because I like the idea of being able to talk and share opinions. That might not be the norm. And you're not necessarily going to get feedback and understand really how your students are responding to you. So that kind of throws everything off a whole lot. There's nobody standing up and saying, hey, Mr. Wiz, that's an inappropriate comment, and I'm offended by this, and I think you should, you know, recant. Oh, okay, okay, we have a, now we have something to talk about. We can explore this. So that's also a real driving point that, you know, you're, you might be saying something or doing something, and... You're not going to know if you've offended anybody. You're not going to know if you've said something that might affect somebody in a positive way either. So that's kind of a a weird situation, especially given what's going on right now. But, yeah, I I find myself self-censoring a lot. And by self-censoring, I mean, well, we're always self-censoring, right? Because we're teachers. We're in front of a classroom. You know, there's things you just can't say. It's like, right, you know, right. right. But I, I find um, this idea or the idea that if a person says something that might offend another person and that people have to hold back on those things, that goes completely against what I'm trying to do with my students, which is just to get them to talk about their ideas mm. and their opinions, right? Mm. So now I'm in the situation where I have to say, well, you know, you should be able to talk about your opinions, but now you have to measure whether or not they're offensive or hurtful to anybody. Now, the problem with that is that's exactly what Japanese students are doing all the time, mm. right? Would you agree that that's like such a central aspect of Japanese communication is that and it's automatic, right? Mm-hmm. Do not say anything offensive. Do not say something that's hurtful. Right. Or, right. I, I said before. Unless, of course, you're in a position of power, which, which is why people enjoy power in Japan so much is because they get to say all those things that most Japanese people can't say or do. Um, so now what we're in a situation where we're trying to explain these are the things you that are acceptable right now to say, and these are not acceptable. And we do that too. Normally in a classroom, don't you think? Right? We say, hey, yes, you can't yeah, say of course. That, that's, right. it, it's, it's just basic manners slash culture communication. Right. And, and you know, the thing that makes it, it, we talked about before, difficult that it's all changing so quickly. Right. So we're kind of just 
talking about a sh- you know shifting lines and it's mm-hmm. like what was appropriate to talk about say or talk in the 60s or 70s or 80s is not appropriate in 2020 but we also come with a lot more awareness and a lot more knowledge of what consists of you know appropriate speech go ahead you want to say something no 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 i'm just um, just yeah. frustrated. <laughs> well, what are you frustrated about? Uh, but how how to do this? Yeah. Well, that's why we're talking about it. Right. right? Exactly. And right. we're putting out we're putting out how we're struggling with this right mm. now. This is kind of it's not a topic you and I have discussed before. No. No. So people are actually it's what we originally set out to do. As we say, usually when teachers get together, right. They sit down and they start talking. The only thing missing is the microphone. So what's happening is it's a discussion between you and I struggling with this topic, and there's a microphone on each side. Yeah. Yeah. It's frustrating. Yeah, and um, I think, and just to, maybe just to, to say it, um, that what we're talking about is not someone uh, turning their classroom into a platform for their social, political, religious agenda, and at the same time, making sure that, <laughs> be self-aware that we're not doing the same thing, all right? Because it's really easy to see when it's somebody that you disagree with <laughs> um, who's doing it, and you find it offensive and wrong. Uh, it's not that easy to see when we might be from someone else's perspective, doing exactly the same thing. Uh, so, for example, someone changing their again foreign language classroom of whatever level into a into um, you know uh, religious recruitment evangelical thing, um, which you know for us, you and I would like set up you know sirens and red flashing red lights, um, but. For example, my use of those two speeches that I talked about before for someone else um, might say, "Well, what? Why are you? Why did you choose those? Um, why are you teaching them that? Um, climate change is isn't real. How can we protect ourselves if we don't have guns?" And I don't have a real good answer for that. How is what I'm doing okay? And this other person, you know, um, uh, missionarying in the classroom, are we that different? I'd like to think so. I can't explain it. Um, Again. This is this is a really hard one for me. Mm. Well, I I would be one of those people who say that you know, <laughs> why are you pushing your right wing agenda, and why are you pushing your left wing agenda, and why are you pushing your middle of the road agenda? Yeah, um, well, is, but is climate but again? It's like, is, oh, is is climate change? Is, is that a left wing agenda item, or is that reality? Okay, so that's that goes back. Yeah, well, you know how I feel, and you and we know how you feel, and it's like, yeah, I've got a concern for the earth and the world, and um, but that's why I my emphasis has been on what's the data? What do you see? Don't tell me what you're seeing on television and the commentating and the reporting. Tell me what data do you know about? Read the Bible, Charles. Um, <laughs> I mean, you know. Um, wait, 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 wait. I'm I'm talking data. Yeah, right. Um, it's um, the word of God. What better wow. data you got than that? Okay, got me there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's you know again. Okay, but first like, off, okay, I, know, I think I'm being what, a, I'm being a, a jerk devil's advocate here, but um, I have it, I I'm as if I'm surprised course, you know. and I'm not used to it in that sense. It's what we both <laughs> do with each other, mm. um, but. I think I would just take the jerk part out. Um, Devil's advocacy is something, for example, I teach with my students. You know, I really, really teach them, play devil's advocate with each other, especially, you know, with group work, especially when you're, you know, practicing your presentations. 
And that I think is key, Tony, is that, okay, and I'm going to say, I don't think being a devil's advocate being a jerk at all. Hmm. In fact, I'm grateful and thankful when people play devil's advocate with my thinking because it just helps me get my thinking figured out better. And there's a certain aspect of thinking through things that requires people to question your ideas and your statements. Um, I don't know. I mean, one of the best moments of my life was when uh, my daughter had transferred over to international school. And I don't know, she'd been going there for like two years or so, a year or two. I can't remember exactly what. And one day I'm talking with my daughter and she turns to me and she says, Dad, what evidence do you have for that statement? <laughs> nice. Exactly. That has to be one of the great days of my life. I mean, uh. I danced up and down. I jumped <laughs> up and down. I looked at my wife and I said, she's going to be fine. Mm. Mm. Right? Nice. Because mm. we come from, and I'm trying to deal with blind spots here. And there are, you know, I'm sure that there are ways where this would be considered not a positive thing. I thought to myself, that's exactly the right question. Always. What's the data? Where is the data coming from? Show me the data. Show me the evidence. And as long as we teach people, our students, to do that, and yes, I do understand that that's a data-driven, evidence-based kind of enlightenment approach to the world, but show me the data. Show me the data that we can find that is the best vetted in the sense that it's been, it's been found, it's been checked. Um, it's been replicated. If you, you know, it's just in the same way if my students say, well, according to this study, they find something, right? And I'll turn to them and I'll say, now, well, has that study been replicated? And then I go, what does replicated mean? And I explain it and they say, no. And then I say, well, you understand that that's a one-off study then. Until it's been replicated a number of times, it's not, we don't know, you know, no, it's not valid, period, okay? So, my solution to this conundrum, this problem, has been look at the data. You've got to be evidence-based here. So if somebody says there is um, a gender – like, for example, um, students, some student will say there's a gender gap in society. And my immediate response is, okay, what's your, what's your evidence? What's the data? And they'll say something, and they'll say, yeah, but that's, that's anecdotal. That's an experience. And I'm not denying your experience. In fact, I'll recognize it. But when we talk, you want to be able to come in and say that a survey done with really proper methodology that was conducted last year with, um, you know, the subjects being, you know, from this range, age range to this age range, 82% reported that they had a certain kind of experience. The questionnaire was replicated again six months later with a different group, but a similar group, and the results came out to be statistically equal. That's not a bad way for people to go through life, I think. And it's not a bad way for people to say, hey, this is a, a one way to look at the world and watch the news, because uh, I think that's not present in the information a lot of people are getting. And, you know, I, because, you know, we're American and, uh, you know, I think we're both on the progressive side. I think that's where we would identify. But we had this talk once where I was saying how I was listening to a talk by, it was the, um, the guy, what's his name? Um, Andrew Yang. And I heard him on a podcast and I was just blown away by the fact that the guy had the statistics. He had the numbers down. And... That had a real big impact on me in terms of, ah, oh, oh, that's interesting. I haven't heard a politician use statistics and numbers so clearly and explain where the numbers were coming from. So I have my bias, which is numbers. That was a long screed. Sorry about that. <laughs> but, a lot of, there's, but there's a lot of truth. And uh, it's, a, it's a sad statement on our times. You, you mentioned it very briefly that just toward the end um, that uh, that reliance on uh the data <laughs> on, on the truth <laughs> on fact um is somehow suspect in so many circles um where i mean how 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 can that 
<laughs> How can that be controversial? Look at the data. I mean, what what could possibly be controversial about that? Just, you know, don't don't bring the truth into this because it's going to upset uh, my belief. Um, yeah, what a what a weird time. Um, also, while you're talking, I, I kind of just out of out of left field. I'm thinking that maybe. Um, going back to uh, the question of our own blind spots and our own biases. And um, again, yeah, I'm not usually a big fan of collaboration and stuff. I'm, you know, I got a you know, rep of something about cowboy, but um, this might be one of those cases um, where collaboration might have a useful purpose. Um, just to kind of check your own ideas, your own values, talk to other people. It's like, am I a weirdo? Am I an outlier? <laughs> or am I? Am I kind of like? It's like you know, I'm kind of thinking this, and I'm kind of thinking this, and I'm I'm talking about this in the classroom. Do you think that's out of line? Do you think that's odd? Do you think it's wrong? Um, there might be some value in um, getting some feedback from colleagues on this. I'm not so sure, but it's possible. Because without it, you're you're really, you know, without any kind of reference point. And uh, you might be okay. You might not. You might think that you're all right, but you might be way off the charts. I don't know. I mean, we have each other. We, when we talk a lot about these kinds of things, um, and uh, there's that uh, kind of corrective factor there, but I don't know. I don't know. Well, yeah, I don't know whether collaboration's the word I'd use, mm. but engaging with other people. Uh, I know that there's a friend of mine, and he and I complete not completely, but we really do disagree on politics and. A lot, and just you know, has a whole view that is so different from mine. But I find myself just always happy to talk with this person because, you know, it's bringing in different opinions and ideas, and it forces me to have better data at my fingertips. You know, better, uh, yeah, yeah, information. But what's what I here's the key though: we don't argue, right? We're talking, and. That is valuable, and I do know. But here's the thing: when you talk about collaboration, Tony, and maybe you know, getting things from another side, this friend of mine has talked about getting attacked for his opinions. Nothing evil, other than for supporting the current president and recognizing the current president's bad aspects and the things that a lot of people see. But just the fact that the person has voiced that has resulted in a lot of name-calling. And I'm just putting that out that I don't know about collaboration because I can sit down and I can talk with you and we can disagree and you know we'll play devil's advocate with each other. But I've been in situations where I've watched people not being very respectful of the other opinion. Now, that could also be useful because you'll know what the limits are, what you can say and what you can't say that gets offensive to people, perhaps. I don't know. I mean, it's just weird. But I think one answer to the thing we're talking about would be, you know, if I'm going to talk about, let's say, um... Uh, social justice in America, it would be a really good idea to have somebody who disagrees with me having an equal amount of time with my students so that my students get different sides of the coin. I think that would be fair. What do you think? Well, I think it would have to be a a special class to be able to appreciate that. Right, Um, we would have a special class. It's like a wonderful experiment. But... uh, yeah, I mean that that sounds pretty interesting. You're you're a, a lot more tolerant than I am in in, in that regard, I think. Um, 
because uh, yeah, we've had discussions about yeah, this. Yes, because <laughs> uh, and you know, and and, and for for example, like uh, somewhere somewhere on the same spectrum was like, okay, so uh, you're with somebody and and they make a racist joke. What's the reaction? Probably what just happened, right? <laughs> <laughs> and so, it, it, it and for me, there's the you know support for the current administration in the United States would fall in the same category. For right. me, it's indefensible. Right, I understand that. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, we we've done that, and so I have to be very careful uh, that when I talk about these things in the classroom that I don't become a missionary for, for my positions. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and as you said, like having that, uh, you know, two different um, viewpoints in the classroom, I think is a very valuable tool, but I'm not going to have that discussion in my classroom about whether the earth is round or flat. It's flat, right? <laughs> So yeah, it's somewhere somewhere between round <laughs> the round Earth and the flat okay, Earth. Okay, you see that's and, interesting. Yeah, right. I mean, it's because... I have had that discussion in my class. <laughs> cool, because I asked my students. I said, "How do you know the Earth is round?" <laughs> it's such a deeply ingrained belief assumption sure sure true perfect it's perfect it's perfect because that's what i'm trying to teach myself exactly so where's is, where's, where's your where, data where's your where's look at where's your belief system from how do you know the earth mm-hmm. is round mm-hmm. well i saw pictures from nasa uh-huh <laughs> but it's an you see it's an interesting thing that i would have that discussion because i want to ground my students thinking and to say hey look at all the assumptions we bring at this point in time in our life. And then the same flips, the same thing is to say, uh, you know, I do this with my daughter. I, she probably really <laughs> goes crazy and you know, hates me for this, but she'll say something like gravity, you know, and I'll say, okay, what's your definition of gravity? You know, basic, you know, fact, truth, no question. I'm not denying that, you know, you cannot argue with me that there is no such thing as something that appears to be gravity. Now, whether or not we got gravity right or not, I don't know. You're so close-minded. Pardon me? (laughs) You're so close-minded. Yeah. What do you mean, gravity? Okay, go ahead. Yeah, gravity, right. What a a false con. That's a social construct. Um, (laughs) Yes, when my wife is angry at me, gravity does seem heavier and stronger. But I stand by the position that the best way for us to address whatever agenda we're bringing into the classroom is that the questioning aspect of, okay, where's, where does your belief come from? What's the data for that statement? Is a universal way to be. And I know that that is an article of faith that I have. But you're about to make a comment and I save would, me uh, save me from saying something I would, no, stupid no 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 i i would i would give you more credit i don't think that that's an article of faith faith is irrational um i think no i think i agree 100% what you said and i think it's totally rational that is the rational answer it's it's not a question of faith but anyway continue <laughs> okay that the looking approaching issues as objectively as possible, not because emo- things are just, there's things you cannot watch or see without being amazed, you know, just shocked and, you know, abhorred by and aghast at, okay, let's just, you know, there's just, it's the power of imagery, right? Uh-huh. It's the, I think for our generation, right, Tony, a little bit before, it's the, the, the little girl running after the napalm attack. Sure, sure, Milai. Right, and that was Mi- no, that was wasn't Milai. That was, that was a non-pan, I believe. But anyway, go ahead. Yeah, right, right. You yes, know, I know the it's image. a very, very famous yeah. image of a, a girl who's been bom- um, burned and is running um, because of a napalm attack by the United States on her village. That one image just changed the way people thought about things, and we know that images are powerful. I'm not denying the wrongness of things, but 
to be able to get my students and myself to say, okay, let's look at this from data because we need to figure out how to solve the problem. And we're not going to be able to solve the problem from an emotional point of view. At least I, I could say that, you know, I know that rarely are my emotions correctly calibrated to reality on an immediate response. But to say, hey, here's a situation we see. Everybody is agreeing that this is wrong now. How do we fix it? And how do you fix something without the data? How do you fix something without knowledge? And knowledge is power, right? Mm. And I that goes back to what was it you said before, right? That how can you not bring the truth into a situation? How can you say, no, we can't allow the data into this this discussion? I think that's what you were talking about. Yeah, right? yeah, exactly. Yeah. How is it? How how is the data suspect? How can data be? How can the use of data be suspect if it's yeah. not suspect data? And then of course people right. say all data suspect. And I go yes. <laughs> and now we go on to the you know merry go round forever. Okay. Uh, yeah. I think though that it's important to bring you know the students to say hey the data will data can really show us insights we would not know. And I've seen the effect of finding data, finding historical data, and how that opens people's eyes to what has happened and how, you know, they need to act, right? And mm. yeah, yeah, so that's how I deal with it, is supporting evidence-based thinking, critical thinking, I think is the only way I know to go about it. And I, you know, don't understand how people can say no. You can't bring this data in, into this this the discussion because it's going to hurt people or offend people. And it's like no, data is data. Being offended is my reaction to the data, you know. And um, anyway, yeah. You want to close this off? <laughs> I think that's it. I mean, I, I think that's it. I mean, it's it's basically all we can do, right? It's. Um... We have our own biases. The, the the host country here for us, Japan, has its own biases and blind spots, and the cultures are are elementally different. Um, and uh, whatever you know, as in, in teaching the foreign language, there are certain cultural aspects that we have to bring along with us, um, and you know, deliver to our students. <clears throat> we need to be responsible in how we we ourselves interpret that um and at the same time which you very well um pointed out a really big important point for the students is to yeah get your make your decisions based on the data uh not because somebody said so not because it's pretty not because it seems like common sense um but what's what's your evidence and um uh, to use that as a uh excuse me, uh, basic building block of uh, critical thinking, right? How to think, how to come to conclusions. Um, it's probably one of the most, besides you know, linguistic skills themselves, probably one of the uh, valuable life skills that we can give our students. So I guess we will continue to do our best, be, a, be aware of our own biases and blind spots. Uh, uh, assumptions and not let that infect uh, what we're doing unconsciously and then when we do it consciously to do it responsibly I guess I guess well I'm I think that one of the most valuable things we can do as educators is to say to you know show students that we're struggling with blind spots and biases and that we're struggling with an issue not that necessarily we have the right answers and i'm not talking about you know e issues of equality which are central to the way i think and believe and there's an example there where i would say huh the question would be i have this belief in equality i have beliefs in justice now how are my actions matching up with those beliefs now that's a valued valid question. Sure. I think that's valuable for our students is to say, hey, I'm struggling here. I, I, this is what I see. Now I'm questioning. What am I doing? Is what I'm doing adding or detracting or subtracting from a more just world, a better place for your future, my daughter's future, for example? Those are valid questions. And I think that modeling of that struggle and 
also, and I'm going to stop talking on this topic now, but the idea that it's an ongoing process, and I don't like the word evolve, but to say that, yeah, my positions change over time because I'm continually reviewing them, assessing them, evaluating them, and to understand that who you are today and any growth that you make um, is not um, diminished by, let's say, any kinds of thinking you have now. I mean, you know, we talk about more mature um, thinking, right? Less naive thinking. Um, so I want my students to know that they can think about things, that it's an ongoing process, that it never ends, and that you have to realize and recognize that people grow and change with their ideas, and you will too, hopefully. There. Yay. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. It's a tough one. Okay. Let's wrap it up. Yep. Charles Wiz. Tony Silva. Two Teachers Talking. We can be found at Two Teachers Talking plus pretty much almost anything. Yeah, and anybody who wants to get in touch with this person. <laughs> get in touch with yeah, this everybody point, who right? knows. Yeah, at this point in time, you know how to get hold of us. Okay. But we would uh, appreciate um, feedback on this because... Um, Again, I, I call it a collaboration job. So, you know, but yeah, I would, we'd be very curious to hear what, what people think, what they have to say. Because, uh, yeah, interesting times. Right. Mm -hmm. Okay, Tony. Yep. You be well. <laughs>